Oh, it's so exciting to be here this morning. And yet we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts. We are so excited to be in this new location. And just as we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church from the book of Acts, we can see the Holy Spirit is at work here among us. It means that's good news. Because we're not the ones doing the work. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can celebrate that. Uh, God is building the church, and he is faithful. It's important to remember that the building is not the church. It is the people. We, you, are the church. We are the church. A building is just a tool, and we're thankful about this tool, the location, and the warm heat this morning. That's kind of nice. Come into that. It's a, it's a great tool and a good location, but the real church, I hope we never forget, the real church is the people. We are the church. And Jesus says, when he says, I will build my church, he's talking about the people of the church, the community. The Holy Spirit is building the church, and that's what we celebrate this morning. It's also what we see in the book of Acts. Uh, so we're going to continue this morning, pick up where we left off last week in Acts chapter 5. Um, if you need a Bible this morning, uh, like a real live paper version, book version, we have those. They are not completely old-fashioned here. So if you need one, just let us know. I know that uh, the electronic versions are pretty handy, and I use those, but sometimes the paper is nice. I invite you to follow along. As we read this passage, it comes from Acts, thank you, Pastor Gary, it comes from Acts chapter 5, uh, we'll read verses 12 through 16. So, Acts chapter 5, from verse 12. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Pretty cool, huh? Here, here we read about a church that was doing some pretty cool stuff. It's the kind of stuff, I believe, actually, that every healthy church ought to be doing, even, even today. And so as we look at this church, there are some things that, that pop out, that come out from even this passage, this short passage this morning, that I think are appropriate and relevant and important for us even today. The first thing we see is that this church was a super natural church. I love that word, supernatural. You don't hear it much 
Well, we need to say it more because of what God works in our lives. Verse 12 says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. Signs and wonders and regularly. Ooh, that's cool. Now, we don't have a, a list of the specifics here. This would be one of those places I'd like to know more. And, uh, but there were miraculous things, maybe miraculous healings. We can definitely get that out of the passage because people were bringing people into the streets just to get Peter's shadow. There, was, there, was, there were miracles, healings that were happening. Probably there was also a, a sense of awe uh, about the power of God, maybe even a little fear. If you remember what happened last week uh, when we studied Ananias and Sapphira, uh, word had gotten out, uh, be honest to God. Uh, be real. And, and so there was a, an expectation that this God was pretty powerful. Signs and wonders. And people knew there was something special about the life of this church. And though we don't know every detail of what was happening or the specific signs and wonders, we shouldn't be surprised about this. Because this really is the expectation. It was Jesus who, himself who said in the Gospel of John, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these. Well, what kind of works did Jesus do? All oh, this simple stuff, healing people, casting out demons, causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, healing the dead, little stuff like that. And yet, we will do greater things than these. Wow, that's something. Jesus did some pretty amazing miracles and said that whoever believes in him will even do greater things, so shouldn't really surprise us. In fact, we should expect amazing things to happen in the life of the church today. There should be miracles, surprising gifts of provision and healings, just to name a few. These should be the standard, not the exception. But unfortunately, it is possible to miss this. It is possible to to do church without this. I mean, there are some churches that have become pretty good at providing for themselves, taking care of themselves, of serving themselves, of focusing on themselves. You see the common word there, themselves? You see, they, they don't really need miracles, and yet they really miss the essence of the church. It's kind of like the story of the man who he was visiting church for the very first time, and he he came into the church and went through the worship service. And after the service, he was a little disappointed. And so he went up to the pastor and he said, Pastor, when do you do this stuff? Do what? The pastor said. And the young man said, you know, the stuff. The stuff that's in the Bible. The healings and the, the breaking of loaves and the feeding of the hungry and the causing the blind to see and the lame to walk. When do you do this stuff? pastor said, oh, that stuff. We don't do that here. I mean, we study it. We think about it. We read about it, but we don't do it here. We believe it exists. We don't do it. So the man left that church that day and never came back. It shouldn't surprise us. Who can blame him? Believe it or not, the amazing things we read about in the Bible are not just supposed to be interesting little stories that we look at and then forget. Instead, those miracles, those amazing things are to be examples for us of the kind of things God wants to do today. 
if we allow ourselves to be pushed and moved in ways that the Holy Spirit wants us to go. The early church grew because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were out touching the sick, encouraging the downtrodden. They were feeding the hungry, talking to people in languages they understood. They were a supernatural church. And I hope today is kind of a marker for us in a new location. There are going to be lots of markers. Uh, but this is one that we never forget. We are a supernatural church. For me, this lesson came pretty early in my ministry. Actually, it started on the first day of the first church that I served. And, and the first Sunday that I, I was pastoring this little church in Appleton, Wisconsin, I, after the service, spoke to the organist of the church, and she told me about her husband, Bill. And obviously she was very concerned because Bill was sick, and, and he had been struggling pretty aggressively with cancer. The cancer had, had, had taken over his body. He had heart disease. Uh, only a portion of his heart was actually working. And then on top of that, he had diabetes. It was not a good situation for Bill. She wanted me to pray because Bill had just been moved on to hospice. I don't know if you know what hospice is. It's, it's basically end-of-life care where they stop treating you for the condition you have. They stop aggressively trying to to defeat the cancer or whatever it is, and they just cause you to be comfortable. They had put him on hospice, and she wanted me to come and, and pray for him. And I thought, well, of course, I'm the pastor. I'm going to pray. So uh, that's exactly what I did. I, I, I began to meet with him, and I would go to his house, and, and I, I would pray that God would do work in his life, that that God would bring some healing. I didn't know what kind of healing to expect, but I knew this man was not a Christian. He was not a church person. She'd say, he's not, he's not a church-going type. Uh, man, a lot of things. He didn't like the mechanism of the church. He didn't feel attracted to the community. He didn't follow Jesus, and she felt concerned. And, and so I prayed for him, for healing. I was thinking probably at least spiritual healing we can get out of this. And I prayed and I prayed. And I was always thinking in the back of my mind, I'm going to do his funeral here pretty soon. I'd like to get to know him. And so I went out every week and I began to pray for Bill. And we prayed together and we talked and we shared. And after a few months, I thought, well, he's doing okay. Um, I can't really afford to go out here every week. I'm going to go out every other week. And so every other Friday, I would go out and we would pray together. And then, and then it happened one day. I came out to the house, and the whole family was distraught. They were all worked up. They were upset because Bill had gotten kicked off of hospice. I mean, I didn't know you could do that. But apparently, you time out. There's only so much of a window of hospice you get. And he had used that resource. He would used that time, and they, they were kicking him off of hospice. And Bill wasn't feeling worse. He was feeling better. And so they thought, well, let's go to the hospital and find out what's going on. So they went to the hospital there in Appleton, and they couldn't find anything. Well, it's a small hospital, small town, so they, they sent him down to Milwaukee. That was the bigger city in, in Wisconsin. They sent him to Milwaukee, and they ran exclusive tests with fancy uh, equipment, and I couldn't find anything. There was no cancer in his body. He was healed, and everybody knew it. This man had been healed from cancer that was destroying his body. It was a beautiful story. 
We celebrated as a church family, but that wasn't the most beautiful part. Because the most beautiful part was that for the first time, Bill accepted a relationship with Jesus. He, he, he became a part of the church family. He, he began to serve in the church. And I was only there a few years, but several years later, I mean, he was still serving in that church. He had joined the church, became a, a faithful member, professed the truth of Jesus in his life. It was a cool miracle. It changed the life of that church. And, and I tell you, I've seen other miracles in, in the lives of churches. I remember the time on the, in another church, in another day, it, was, it wasn't a healing miracle. It wasn't as significant, and only a few people knew about it. We were setting up sound equipment, and we couldn't get it to work that morning. And we, we, we were all frustrated because it, it was a big sanctuary, a big congregation, uh, and people couldn't hear without sound. And so we, we prayed, Lord, please, please help work this sound equipment. And like a moment before the worship service, it started to work. Like, praise the Lord, he answered our prayer. But then when we get at the end of the service, we looked at it, and realized it was missing a cord. There was no electricity to it. <laughs> it was not getting electricity to the part that needed to work. It was a miracle. Only a few people knew about it because God does that. Do you see, God does work in miraculous ways. And we don't have control over how God does the miraculous in and through the life of his community, but he does. And when Jesus is lifted up, my friends, God does amazing work. That's what we see in the life of the early church. It was a, a church that was supernatural, and it was a respected and growing church. We see this very clearly in this passage. Verses 13 and 14 seem actually to be in contradiction. The first verse says that the people did not dare to join the church. And then verse 14 says that believers were added in increasing numbers. The two very different verses here. The first verse, you got two groups. You got the rest of the people in verse 13. And then in verse 14, you got the believers that were being added to. There was a difference between these groups. The difference was that there were those who were only interested in what they could get out of the church. That was the rest of them. And then there were those who were interested in making a, a commitment to the community. They were committed to the purpose of touching and changing the lives of people. You see, that's the difference in the two groups of people. The one group, they wanted to, to come to church and, and get something out of it. The other group felt compelled and moved to be part of the mission and the purpose of the church. You see... The purpose of the church is never to build a bigger building, to create a more comfortable worship center, to have better coffee on Sunday morning. This is never the purpose of the church because the purpose of the church is the same as the mission of Jesus, who said it so clearly in Luke that he came to seek and save the lost. That is the purpose of the church. William Temple, who was once the Archbishop of Canterbury, proclaimed, and I love this quote, that the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it. 
That's a profound thought if you think about it. The only organization that doesn't exist for itself, but for those who are not yet a part of it. Now, we might argue there are other groups, people who meet and gather together for the purpose of helping others, but there is only one church uniquely called by God and spiritually gifted to change the world with the good news of Jesus. For hundreds of years, churches have been trying to figure this out. They've struggled with how do we share the gospel of Jesus to a world that does not yet know him. There have been great evangelistic movements and famous revivals and, and crusades throughout the years that have tried to spread the good news, and today things are no different. Followers of Jesus are still trying to find the best way to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded. If you have been touched by the grace of Jesus Christ, then it's natural. You want to share it with others. You want to share with others how your personal relationship with Jesus has molded your life, to share how he has comforted you through trials and tribulations, how he has provided a way for you when there was no way to share how different you are because of walking in a relationship with Jesus. It's a natural desire to want to share that. It's also a gauge of how healthy your relationship with Jesus is because if you don't have that desire, you need to question because it should be natural. It should be a natural desire to share what Christ is doing, but it is not always easy. We live in a culture, a world culture that tells us your faith in Jesus, your faith in anything is a private matter, a private affair to be kept at home, something to, to be kept hidden in the privacy of our homes and churches. The truth is, you just can't do that. You can't. Once you have experienced the life-changing touch of Jesus, you are no longer the same. I believe this is what happens, and I believe this is why the early church grew in such incredible ways. Acts 5.14 says, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. In spite of all the obstacles, the church exploded into existence and spread throughout the Roman Empire. Do you wonder how? I mean, how, how did the people determine that Christianity was real when they were flooded with so many other religious possibilities? Think of the Roman Empire, all the Roman gods that were worshipped, all the philosophies, all the possibilities. How did people find Christianity in the mix? The truth is, we don't really have to guess. The reason is because the early church lived the example set by Jesus. They were willing to, to live up close and personal. They were willing to, to love, to connect, to share. In his book titled The Rise of Christianity, sociologist Rodney Stark explains that the early years of the church, that the, the environment, the culture, had experienced some pretty significant epidemics, I mean, pandemics, if you want to think of it. And, and those, if they were cared for, if they were given love, treatment, attention, then they had a much better chance of survival. I mean, that's common sense, right? 
But in those days, the practice was that if someone was sick, if someone was struggling with a condition, you would send them away. You would send them in isolation. You wouldn't treat them. You would send them off to die. That was the practice. That's how you handled a sick population. You, you would send them away so that they would die and not infect the rest of the group. That was the practice. But the early church didn't practice that practice. Instead, they were willing to get up close and personal. They would actually go to those places, to those people. They would bring them closer. They would minister to them. They would care for them. And in, in return, the people started to, to heal. They recovered from the epidemics. And people started to notice, wow, there's something about that Christianity. Not only were those who were sick and healed brought into the life of the church, but their families noticed. And, and so the church grew in an incredible way. History tells us that this willingness to suffer in order to care for the sick brought large numbers of people into Christianity. You see, the early church, it's amazing. They had no money, no political clout. They, they didn't have buildings or publishing houses. All they had was the ability to love, and that was enough, to love like Jesus. The only question is this. How can we do the same? In fact, we should always be asking that question. How can we love like Jesus? Especially now that God has provided, God has given us a gift, a, a, a location, a building, an opportunity. How can we use this? Not just for ourselves to be comfortable on Sunday morning with great heat and great coffee. Thank you, Andrew. How can we use this space to reach the community? How can we make a difference in Debertson, in our, the lives of our family and our friends? How can we share the love of Jesus using this space and location? And actually, that's not going to be a rhetorical question this morning. It is not going to be rhetorical because we really want to know how God can use this space. And so... We're going to do a little... Do you have the surveys? All right, thank you. Thank you, helpers. we got a survey because we want to know what you think. We believe that God works through a congregation to, to, to share some ideas. So they're, they're going to pass those out. And you can fill it out now. If, it, if God has put something right on your heart, just go ahead and do that. Or you can wait till later. We have ordered pizza, so it might be a great thing to discuss over the pizza as it as a, you did get the pizza order right yeah it's all right. Really all right pizza's coming so I, I want you to uh to pray about that and think about that there's a few ideas already listed uh that some have mentioned but we want to know how we can use this space this location for the glory of christ to reach the community to share the good news As you are thinking about that, I'm going to get to that last point in this message. Because this early church was a supernatural church. They were a church that was respected and growing. And we also see that they were a healing church. And that's, that's what we're going to conclude with. We're going to conclude with the idea that this church 
our church is also a healing church. It's no secret that people in our world are sick. Uh, they're not just physically sick, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually sick. People are lonely and discouraged and separated from loved ones. People have families all over the world and they're here. People need Christ's healing hand on their hearts and minds and bodies. And there's a difference between sermons about healing and actual healing opportunities. There's a big difference. Verse 15 tells us that the sick were laid in Peter's path so that at least his shadow would fall on him, on them. You ever think about a shadow healing somebody, somebody being healed by a shadow? They thought. That's what they did. They thought. It, and, and this was never about Peter, by the way, or Peter's glory. The reason we read this is because it shows us the impact that the early church was having, that this was the power of Jesus. This was the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we know people need more than a shadow of our busy lives, don't they? They need more than a shadow of our busy lives. They need personal contact. They need to be listened to. They need the physical contact of touch. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. But it's not just the elders that have that power. We all can use physical touch as a sign of God's spiritual healing, His spiritual work. And when you are allowing yourself to be used, to be touching the lives of people both physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you will experience wonders. You really will. You will see God at work in the most incredible way. And so, let me encourage you to use what you have, not only your physical touch, but your time, your energy, your ideas, to share the love of Christ. This was a supernatural church, a respected, growing church, and a healing church. And this is the kind of church I want us to be. This is the kind of church God calls us to be. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. Maybe... You are already a follower of Jesus. You are committed to Christ. And, and you are a disciple. But you want to formally join this mission of touching and changing the lives of people here in this community, using this space, using what God gives us. Then this is an invitation to you to, to make that be known, to say, I, I formally, I'm part of this community. Or maybe you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You are not a disciple. You have not yet given your life to him in exchange for the life that he wants to give to you, the hope, the joy, the life, the eternal life that comes only through Jesus. If that's you, then this invitation is also for you this morning to say perhaps for the first time, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to become a Christian, to give my life, my plan in exchange for the plan that he has for me. I surrender my life. I ask and, and recognize the forgiveness of sin through only Jesus and allow Jesus to restart your life in the most incredible way. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful for your work here among us. We are thankful that you are a supernatural God 
but you are also up close and personal. Help us to expect to look toward you, to depend on the Holy Spirit to work in the same way that we might do as you've already said we will, greater things. Lord, help us to be part of your plan. Help us to, to be mindful of the possibilities, to be careful of the, of the procedure, and to be bold in the steps. And Lord, help us, if any of us are still thinking about following you, let today be the day that that boldness comes over and they say, I, I want to follow you. I want to I be a Christian. I want to surrender my life. I want to accept forgiveness and know true life in you. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus.